So, ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the Better Each Day podcast radio show with Bruce Hilliard. Today and every day, reaching out for innovative ideas in every way. Yeah, Today's show is yeah. brought to you by your future. It comes with a lifetime guarantee. Ooh, make a better stay now, baby. It's May 14th, and tomorrow my EP drops on Spotify. So go to Bruce Hilliard's site, check it out. All you have to do is play a song or two. You can put it on your playlists, share it to somebody else. Any kind of traffic will let Spotify know that you love me. Today's guest, author of Smells Like Teen Spirit and a whole bunch of other rock and roll books, friend and author Jillian Gar. So how many... Uh, Nirvana books have you written? I'm seeing like seven, eight, nine, ten. I don't know. You must be the <laughs> oh, world, world I, authority. I think huh? I know. Yeah, I, I think I know what, what the reason for that is. Um, I believe it's only five. Let's see. I wrote um, the In Utero book for 33 and a third and in that series, the 33 and a third series. And then uh, I guess the next was uh, The Rough Guide to Nirvana. And then a book called The Nirvana Treasures, and then Entertain Us, The Rise of Nirvana, and then Teen Spirit, The Alternative Anthem of the 90s, which is an e-book. And it was part of this series that just focuses on individual songs, so it's not that long. And I think if you have an Amazon Prime membership, you can even download it free. And when, as I always tell people, even if you don't have a Kindle, if you have a computer, you can still read it because Amazon has a free Kindle app you can download for your computer. I mean, you can't carry it around with you like you could a Kindle, but it's on your desktop. And um, so that's how you can still buy eBooks from Amazon and read them. But um, the thing with the Nirvana Treasures, when that book originally came out, it was at, which I think was about 2010 or I could look that up and get the exact date. But um, anyway, it was more an overview type of book with a lot of pictures and sort of uh, facsimile memorabilia you could take out, like set posts and flyers and that kind of thing. Mm. And there was also a DVD in the original one, though it came from England, so I could never really play it. Um, but what that publisher did with that book is they've repackaged it a number of times. So that's why you probably see that I have all these Nirvana books when really most of it is just a reissue of the Nirvana Treasures. Because ah. they reissued it again. They, they, they started reissuing it without all the um, memorabilia in it. Because, uh, of course, that's cheaper to do, probably. Um, and then what they did in here, I'll take this out so you can actually see. In, let's see, when did this come out? Okay, 2017. There's a fellow named, I think he pronounces it Chuck Chrisafuli, and he put out a book uh, called, I believe, The Stories Behind Every Nirvana Song. And somehow they got, the publisher picked up that book. And so in 2017, they did like a mashup called Nirvana, The Teen Spirit of Rock. And they took his book and my book and they combined them together. So mine is like the narrative text. And then they, they drop in his comments about the individual songs. And in that book, they had me write a few updates. 
so like I did a box on on Paul McCartney playing with the surviving Nirvana members and about their induction into the Rock Hall. Uh, so that did have some new information. And then after that, they um, separated the books again, and they republished Chuck's book as the you know a standalone volume with a in hardback with a pink cover. And uh, they put out the Nirvana Treasures again in the same format with the slipcase. And in that that one, they didn't include that new information that I had added. And I said, oh, I thought you were going to do that. And they said, yeah, we were going to, and, and maybe we'll do that in the future. So who knows, maybe there'll be another edition of that with more updated information. But that last reissue of The Treasures and Chuck's book, I um, did some updates in the text, you know, corrections, and also I wrote all the photo captions. Which that that was kind of fun, um, you know. The the publisher would choose it, and they had the layouts, and then I had to figure out um, where the photos were from, and then you know write some intelligible caption. So it did a lot of. They have a Google image search, and that was very useful because I would be sent the a PDF of of the manuscript, and then you could just you know like select the picture and then put it in the Google image search and. It might say like a you know Nirvana in concert in Copenhagen, 1991, and then you just look up the date of that show. Oh, what 91? When were they in Copenhagen? Okay, and then you could you know your caption could be more accurate. You know, saying like Nirvana on stage on November 12th, 1991 in Copenhagen. I so, didn't know you could do that. That's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's useful. And I didn't know anybody um, could write an entire book on one song. This is like you know thirty plus pages on "Smells Like Teen Spirit," and it's pretty cool reading through it. I I was really uh, surprised. There's a lot of details that I never even would have thought of. Well, it um, this series it it was it's my first ebook, and I thought, well, this is a good way to break in on something you know shorter. That's not like writing a whole book, and you wonder how that's going to go. Uh, so this, I thought, would make it easier, just one song. And I picked that because it's their most well-known song. And even people that don't know the song have probably heard the title. And, um, yeah, there's there's an interesting history about it. And certainly if, if you're doing, say, a book, if you're doing a book on Nirvana, you're not going to be able to go on and on like that about one song for pages and pages. But this gives you the chance to do that. And, yeah, I did a, a few other interviews. And, yeah, I think it's a fun fun little read. The, uh, like reading a long magazine article, folks, so check it out. Well, the, the shooting of the video, which I always thought was one of the coolest things about the song, because MTV really needed something about that time, and that came out, it was like, what in the hell is this? You know, it really <laughs> caught your eye. But it sounds like you were there. How did you gather all that information? Unless you were there, um, I don't know. <laughs> no, I wasn't there. <laughs> it sounds like you um, were. <laughs> well, I guess with... Uh, with being on um, Nirvana websites and and all over the years, especially site like Live Nirvana, meeting people there, I think Rob Cardenas was, I think he's quoted in there. I've spoken to him anyway about about um, what the filming was like because I knew he was there. And um, well, in fact, on Entertain Us, uh, Kevin Estrada's photo is on the cover of that book. So so that's how Kevin and I got in touch. And he was there at the shoot. So I just from being in the Nirvana community for years in my previous books, I knew people had who had been there and, and who could talk about it. 
Um, you know, I never got through to Sam Bayer, though. He was the director. He would have been good to talk to. Oh. Although, actually, did I? I'm not sure if I did approach him for that. I did a book on Green Day, and of course, he did a lot of good Green Day videos. And I remember trying to interview him for that, but I never got a response. So he would be one person I would have liked to have added. But yeah, kind of the start of his career. What's What's nice about that is uh, you can. Some videos are so elaborate, and that can be fun too. But if it's a good performer, they don't really need all that. I mean, it's pretty much, you know, it's basically just a straight performance video. I mean, there's a couple things where they they cut to, like, the janitor mopping and things like that. But mm-hmm. for the most part, you just see the kids at the show. And, you know, there's no special effects or anything. There's the lighting. But, um, you know, there's nothing really elaborate about it. It's just basically a performance video, and it's just, you know, very strong and, and powerful. And, I mean, it's fun to learn that, uh, you know, the kids weren't just acting, and at the end they just kind of go crazy because they were going to go crazy. They didn't care what the director was saying. <laughs> yeah, well, they they kind of book the uh, the audience, the, the, uh, the crowd, from a concert prior to that is what I understand from the book. Yeah, yeah, they yeah they passed out flyers. Yeah, so you're bound to get a bunch of nutballs doing it that way. But that's what you wanted. Yeah. I mean, that's what it was about. So it was cool. <laughs> and free show, and I think people don't realize what's involved in shooting something. Though it's actually can be kind of boring. Yeah. Because they make you do the same thing over and over again. Because they're shooting from different angles, so they want to cut to different angles on the same line. And yeah, I've been on a few film sets and. Sometimes I wonder how they can get those performances because you just think, oh, wouldn't you be tired after about <laughs> 10 takes or something? Gosh, recording sessions are that way. They're brutal sometimes. You end up doing the same thing over and over and over again. And Yeah. yeah. But I guess that's the nature of the game, too, in music because you you know, how many times has Steve Miller played Fly Like an Eagle? You know, probably 20,000 times. Bruce Springsteen, Born to Run. He couldn't play a concert without playing that, you know? That's where they go. But yeah, I imagine it's pretty boring. So they were probably ready to tear the set up anyway by the time that uh, it was time to do it. Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I think it sounds like Sam wanted them to do specific things at specific times. And they would at first, but then they got tired of it. And at the end, yeah, they just sort of let rip. And you can tell he's just kind of... Okay, let them go. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what I liked about it. You know, the the big hair bands had done all these super special effect kind of things and uh, animated stuff, and there really wasn't that much computer stuff out at that time. So a lot a lot of the videos looked like somebody kind of did it as a high school project or something. And I think uh, Nirvana just said, "Screw it, let's just run it." <laughs> Don't we go crazy. That's why I guess it was refreshing to me. That's me. I don't know.
<laughs> you just went to Aberdeen. Yes, I hadn't been actually for a couple of years. What took you to and Aberdeen? This this was kind of a short trip. Uh, I was with this Nirvana fan who'd already seen some of the places that didn't necessarily have to go to everything. Um, and also, I was really anxious to get to the ocean because I hadn't been to the ocean here for a while. Well, mm. a couple of years. And I really like, I generally like going to ocean shores. Yeah. And uh, if, if, if on a good day or you have enough time, I like to go there and then go to the, the lounge at the Shiloh Inn, which is right at that main entryway right. to the beach, yeah. you know, the big hotel. Mm-hmm. They, have a, they have a restaurant that's kind of pricey, but they have a lounge and that opens at, I don't know, four or something. And you can sit and they have like sandwiches and cheaper things. And you can sit and look at the view. I mean, the ocean's wonderful, isn't it? Oh, it is. I miss it. Yeah, I think about um, you know Nirvana driving there. You'd you'd read they'd do that sometimes after rehearsals. They'd they'd drive out and go to the beach and just listening to that. That was the beauty so, of Aberdeen, really, is you could just say, "Hey, let's go to the beach," and you know, you might go pee and jump in the car, and that was you didn't make any plans or anything. It was just a, a like going to the park or something. Yeah, and um, one time a friend and I we um. When we did that, we first bypassed Ocean Shores and just drove straight through and started, you know, going up the coast and stopping in at Mo Clips and other, the other little cities. You know, there's a bunch of beaches that just go all the way up, and mm-hmm. we just drove in and spent time at each of them, which is nice. Um, but let's see. So, so first of all, we went to uh, the park by the river where he hung out, and... Uh, just, just to check out the scene there. That's where my band used to rehearse. There's a brown house that's completely adjacent that, say, if you're standing where the guitar monument thing is, mm-hmm. and you're with your back to the bridge, if you go about 50 feet to the right, there's a brown house. That's where my band used to rehearse all the time. And all the neighborhood kids would come and watch. And Kurt lived about a block and a half from there, I think. Yeah. Was was this at the time he was living there? Yeah. Yes. So did he come over and see your band rehearse? I don't think I knew this. Uh, yeah, all the neighborhood kids did. So, and he wasn't anybody that stood out. He was a little blonde-haired guy with blue eyes, and that's all I knew. And later, I knew his mother. And uh, and after that, my one of my good friends actually, he was going to be my brother-in-law, was Kurt's stepfather. So there's my Aberdeen tie-ins. And we all went to the wow. same high school, Aberdeen High School, which is burnt to the ground. Uh, they built a new one. Yeah, I always thought Kurt might find that amusing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. He probably would have thought that would have been a good video. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, and I think, wasn't it that some kids were trying to, like, steal their school records or something that's, or destroy their school records? That's and they, what it was, yeah. They lit a fire and it got out of control. It was and I thought he would have appreciated that. Oh God! We, well, you know, a, a funny thing. Um, I would often go to the thrift stores and and in Aberdeen and look for shirts that said Aberdeen High School. And so I have one, and it, it's actually a very large shirt, but it, it has the old wing of the high school, Weatherwax High, as it's called. I should send you a picture of it. Mm-hmm. And on the back, it has the Bobcats. So, um, so yeah, we went to the park, and as you know, it's you know it's so developed now, 
Um, whereas before it was just all brambles and it was kind of hard to get under that bridge actually. But now they have, you know, benches and little garbage cans and the, and the guitar and then the stand for the air guitar and, and the lyrics. And, um, in fact, a couple people came down while we were there too. And you know, the funny thing, I, um, I hadn't been to Aberdeen for, I guess it was two years. I persuaded another friend to drive. We were mainly going to Ocean Shores, but he hadn't really looked around any Nirvana sites, and he thought it'd be fun to see a couple. So on that trip, we were waiting in the park, and who came by but Aaron Burkhardt, Nirvana's first drummer who lives across the river. Oh. And uh, so, so this trip, this trip that I just made in February, um, we're there in the park, and I thought, gee, last time I was here, Aaron came by. I wonder what Aaron's up to. And then Aaron Burkhardt walked through the park. <laughs> <laughs> and, on, you know, on his way to somewhere in town. And mm. so we chatted. And uh, so that was a lot of fun. Um, and, then of course, we went and looked at Kurt's house, which has been on the market for many years but has not sold. Yeah. The last price I saw they were asking for it was just far too much for that neighborhood. And now, um, I guess maybe they've had vandals or something or maybe people breaking in because the fence around the home, there's a lock on it now. And uh, they put things on the inside of the windows, like boards or something, so you can't look in anymore because I think maybe people were looking in. Uh-huh. And, but still, the outside of the house looks the same. And then my friend had never seen the site of where the, the shack was, kind of further down on 2nd, um, where Kurt lived with Matt Lucan, and where Nirvana began, really. That's where they started rehearsing. Um, and, it, yeah, what it had, the funny address, I think it was 1,000 and a half second, and it was this little tiny house that was behind a larger house, right on an alley. Um, and people used to break into that house. Because I'd look in and you'd see people had spray painted on the wall. Now they've torn it down. There's just a, a field there. So I'm glad I took pictures of the previous house because it's no longer there. Well, yeah, I'm not familiar with that. But yeah, the, the house, um, his childhood house has been on the market since about the time when I first got my real estate license. <laughs> uh, so that's been uh, 10 years easily. And I think it was uh, in Kim's name. The title was in Kim's name. It wasn't in Wendy's anymore. Mm-hmm. Last I heard, I don't know. It could have been bought and sold 20 times since then. I doubt it, though. Yeah. Probably in, in uh, the family name. I think it is. So um, that, was, that was my understanding. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, if you look at what other houses are selling for, in that neighborhood, it, you know, it was way overpriced, even even considering the Kirk connection. Yeah, um, it went on the market for like a half a million bucks, I think. Yeah, and I think houses were going for, <laughs> I don't know, 150, 200,000. Is that about right? <laughs> Not in that area, probably less than that. Okay, so 100,000. Yeah, maybe. that area, so I, the, the locals call it felony flats now. They, oh, they still do. Yeah. I think that's in a, I, I read that one of, one of the earlier Nirvana yeah, books. That's the name um, of the area. 
And in fact, you know, the fact that it's um, Kurt's house isn't necessarily a positive. I was just reading, um, I'm rereading this book about Paul McCartney, and it was talking about his growing up and the various houses he lived in, or places, they weren't houses, um, homes. Flats. Uh, yeah, um, well, bigger than a flat. Yeah. Um, because and flats are usually just one one room, or you know it's all on the same level. And these homes had like an upstairs at least. But okay. anyway, this he um, talked about him going back to one of his childhood homes, and how the woman living there complained about all the fans coming by. Oh, no. <laughs> so, so that's what people would do in Aberdeen too. For a while, you know, people were kind of it was hard to get the, the address of that house. You didn't know where it was. Everyone said, oh, you know, not far from the bridge. But it was, was not as easy to find out the address of the house. Now, of course, it's been published in various places, and it's, you can probably get it online, too, so that's different. Um, I guess there had, I know I've heard people say, oh, that should be turned into a museum, perhaps. And um, that's an idea, but I just have to wonder how much business they would get. Um, I know that... Um, in Liverpool, the last home Paul McCartney lived in, and John Lennon's home, uh, they were bought by the National Trust, which, you know, like a government body in Britain. And they've made them into museums, and they're open to the public. Um, and they actually had caretakers that I think live in the house or nearby, kind of like as a safeguard. But that's in Liverpool, and, you know, they get a lot more traffic, and, and Beatles tours are bigger business, and, and so it's a more viable model. Plus, it's not, they're not standalone businesses. It's part of the National Trust Organization, so it's overseeing a bunch of homes. Yeah. And um, I, I look at, um, on the website, livenirvana.com, their forums, um, or even on Reddit, you read about people that are, they go to Seattle and they look around for Nirvana sites, Nirvana fans, I mean, and, uh, but not many of them get to Aberdeen because, of course, it, it takes a little more effort mm -hmm. to, get, to get there from Seattle. Most, most visitors are going to come in to fly in via the airport. And if you don't have a car, it's pretty hard to get to Aberdeen. It's possible, but it would take a while. Right. So how much traffic would they get? Yeah, that's a, kind of the enigma with Aberdeen, and it's happened in a lot of businesses there. So, and a friend of mine, uh, he took the DNR Theater there. It was a movie theater that we used to mm -hmm. go to as kids, and then it closed down for a long time. And, and he bought it and tried to make it into a venue for concerts, which he did. And it was successful for, for a long time. Uh, I, I never saw the book, so I don't know how he did, but... Uh, the city just didn't really cooperate with them very well. And it was always a hassle. And it just seems to be a, a mindset for Aberdeen that well, we're going to complain that we don't have traffic and we don't have enough tourism, but we're not going to do a lot to to promote it, I guess. So every now and then you see a, a Grace Harbor ad on television. And I, I'm always like, wow, you guys are really, <laughs> you're really going for it now. But yeah, as far as that DNR theater, it was... It's a kind of a sad deal. They had some really good bands play there, but uh, yeah, is it no longer open? No, not to my knowledge. I, if it is, it's sporadic. That's too bad. Yeah. Do you know? Have any idea what the problems were? I don't know, and I know the owner mm. too, and uh, he's probably listening to this. <laughs> His name is John Yonich. He, he was a classmate. He was a year ahead of me, actually, two years ahead of me. 
and uh, Aberdeen High School grad. And uh, yeah, he he worked hard at making it go, and I think he just finally got disappointed with it and uh, kind of put it on the back burner. So I don't I don't know. I'd really love to see it fly, but you must need shuttle buses that go from you know Seattle, Tacoma, Olympia, and and take people there because it's just too mm-hmm. far to go. In reverse, when I was in Aberdeen, we went to Seattle all the time for concerts. It was there was no question. You know, you just packed up your buddies and, and went but to go to Aberdeen, just, uh, I don't know, the gravity doesn't go that direction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was common for people to come to Seattle from Olympia or even Tacoma for shows, but you wouldn't necessarily go to Tacoma or Olympia for shows if you were from Seattle. Yeah. That's the shame about the DNR though. I remember when I first started looking around Aberdeen, it was in 94 and, uh, and the theater was closed then. So I got all these pictures of the exterior and it's all crumbling and everything. It looked kind of cool, actually. But then it reopened and, man, I, I just was sure it would it would take off because there was so much you could do with that space. And, you know, maybe have local things on when you didn't have something from out of town. And Although I remember going to, and it must have been one of the Cobain tribute shows, and it was when the Dean had just opened and they just something went wrong with the bathrooms and they weren't working. And I thought, uh, not good on your opening night. Never. <laughs> they have the bathrooms not working, but I've been there on, on other occasions. I think, um, for the, you know, Cobain foundation tribute shows, uh, over the years. And you know what? It ended up seemed to be doing better. Well, the bathrooms are working, <laughs> but, but you know, there was always something there. Um, but yeah, a little a little harder to get to. I remember I think Engelbert Humperdinck was doing a show there, and I had actually interviewed him not long before, and I thought, oh, that'd be fun to go down there to see him. Oh. In fact, they even thought about calling you, saying, oh, <laughs> can you take me there? Anytime, but, anytime. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I've thought about it. it, it I, I go there so seldom. that uh, That's my excuse. But yeah, I'd love to go there with you and, and show you my, you know, my version of the tour. Oh, yeah. Get a... Get an insider's tour. See, maybe there's a new new career for you. <laughs> God, we'd have to we have to wait for this damn COVID nineteen thing to be over with. But there's a lot of things We're that psych- down, yeah. psychologically it kind of wears you out because you think, when is this going to be over with? You know, is it, it's going to be like Planet of the Apes eventually, where <laughs> there's no humans, just just uh, metalheads or something. I don't know. Well, we did make it to Aberdeen. I mean, we did make it to Ocean Shores after that. Yeah. She'd never seen the ocean for in on the Washington coast. And she's from so, Colorado. Yeah, that's that's common. And they don't even call it, we called it the beach when we lived there. People call it the coast when they're from inland. So let's go to the coast. And first time I heard that, I thought, coast? What, coast of what? What are, you, <laughs> what are you talking about? But yeah, I that's still one of the places I go. Uh, there's a radio station out there, KOSW. And I did, I worked there for just a short while. I did classic rock and I did DJ, all the AM 60s guy, you know, and it was fun. The ocean's fascinating. I never get over it. Well, um, let's see. We had lunch at Duffy's too. Yeah. And then, then we went to, um, <laughs> Duffy's. then we went to Ocean Shores and walked around the beach and went to Sharky's. And then here's something I'd done that I had never done before. And I don't think she'd done it either. But, um, you know, if you've read in, in the books how one of the jobs Kurt had was being like a handyman room cleaner at the Polynesian yeah. in Ocean Shores. Yeah, it's right across from the Shiloh. 
I had just assumed that um, it was closed because what that was Azarad's book. I read that in, and that came out in the '90s. So I thought, oh, that's probably closed. But I was looking it up, and it's still there. So um, after after going to Sharkey's, uh, we went down the road. It's about a couple hotels down from the Shiloh, mm-hmm. and there it is. So I don't know if they've done much remodeling. I kind of wish we'd waited to have lunch, too, because then I thought, oh, we could have eaten at the restaurant there, because they have a little restaurant and yeah. sandwiches and burgers and stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I like Hawaii, so I like the Hawaiian theme anyway, <laughs> of that Polynesian theme anyway. So I took pictures oh. of the exterior and some of the signs and stuff. But, yes, that was a Nirvana site I'd never actually seen. Well, there you go. Yeah, I think he, uh, he cleaned rooms or something like that for a while. The kind yeah. Of, the kind of crappy jobs we all do when we're kids. Yeah, yeah. Well, Doesn't sound like he did a good job at it either. <laughs> 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 when I was a youngster, they, they were always trying to make, again, you know, make Ocean Shores into this big tourist attraction. It does okay. And I've been there sometimes where it's just flat out crowded, but it's pretty rare. But they had a, a Pat Boone golf classic they wanted to do back when Pat Boone was kind of on his way out in the early 60s. And he'd come out there and make appearances and stuff. And I, I think... There was a real estate tie-in, too. They were selling stuff, kind of, uh, you know, catapulting off of his fame. But the, the golf classic really didn't take off, and, and nothing did, and nothing ever seems to. And maybe that was uh, when Nirvana came out and did what they did. It was like, you guys just defied everything I've ever heard of, of from Aberdeen or Grace Harbor County or anything, you know. And they're, they're still legendary. You know, they're ubiquitous. Not a day goes by where I don't hear something about them. And they only did a couple records and then and Bleach. Uh, it's like, wow, <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Now you think about it. And they, uh, when I was working that radio station, it's actually a disaster warning system radio station, but they play music and stuff. So it was, they, they'll take anybody. That's why they took me. But yeah, it was for tsunamis, <laughs> and and I was thinking, you know, if there was a tsunami there, the way that the roads are, you'd get to about that roundabout, and there'd be a traffic jam, <laughs> and you'd be you'd be there forever. You'd be in Japan before you knew it. So I we, know I thought that too. I've seen the like tsunami tsunami route, and I think, gee, if there really is a tsunami, this is a two lane road. How are people going to get out? Screwed. <laughs> yeah, you better have a, a big warning. But I, I always told them at the radio station, I'm going to put on like Surf City or something, and just get my. <laughs> And hit the road, get the hell out of there before anybody knows about it. Get up on the hill. But yeah, you'd have to get off that peninsula because that whole thing would be taken out, I think. But uh, we'll worry about that disaster down the road. We're, we're dealing with one right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, well good. I mean, it's, anytime, it's, you know. It's can... a date. Talk about other things and another book, or <laughs> and that t- takes me back to Nirvana. That uh, came out of the blue. My first hearing of those guys was I was there painting at one of the mills, ITT Rainier at the time, and staying with my brother in Cosmopolis, and he said, "There's this guy Kurt Cobain," and I immediately thought of Gary Cobain because that's his uncle, and I I went all through school with him. And Kurt, I really didn't know. So he said, I'll, I'll, I'll run and grab it. 
and he ran across the street to Kurt's aunt's house, and he came back with a cassette tape. And that was, never mind, but it was only on cassette at the time. I don't think the, the CDs had come out yet or something. So I listened to it, and the Super Bowl was on. So I was kind of going back and forth watching the Super Bowl and listening to that. And I really didn't have a definitive feeling about how I liked it or not, because I was distracted when I was listening to it. But that, that was my first taste of that. And then the second time I heard... It was Smells Like Teen Spirit. I was driving down the, the road in my car, and I heard the intro. And it sounded like Mother Freedom by Bread, the very intro without the distortion. <laughs> and I thought, well, what is that? And the chord progression was, you know, F, B flat, A flat, D flat. And I thought, what in the heck is that? And, uh, and then it kicked in. I was like, I, I ended up pulling my car over. And then they said who it was, and I thought, I didn't even remember hearing that song when I heard the cassette. There you go. That's my dissertation on Smells Like Teen Spirit. <laughs> well, I'm going to bid you a fond ado here. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, we'll take care. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
listening to the Better Each Day podcast radio show with Bruce Hilliard. We'll be back with a new horizon, but until then, honor the future. It comes with a lifetime guarantee. We're all just trying to make the next day a bit better.